when we think about marriages, we think about the models of a happy marriage that we might have experience with in our own lives or friends, people that we know, uh, versus the experience of an unhappy marriage that we may also have seen in our own life uh, or among people that we know. We can sort of think of, of two models, of two kind of patterns that can emerge in the cycle of interpersonal relationship, where on the one hand you have uh, a cycle of people who uh, are, are continuously uh, invested in, in making the other person uh, happy and meeting the other person's needs. You have a, a virtuous cycle of consideration, of generosity, of concern. And of course, on the other end of the spectrum, you can easily imagine uh, the vicious cycle of, of each person in a relationship um, feeling like their needs aren't being met, feeling like they're being denied something, uh, like they have to fight and negotiate and take um, because they're not being given uh, what they want. And, and of course, um, these cycles are cycles because they're, they're self-perpetuating. Uh, I, think, I think for me, at least, in my mind, an ideal kind of marriage is a marriage where both people have some level of deep autonomy and independence where you can live your own life, you know, and you can make your own decisions um, and you could find what makes you happy and do what makes you happy. And, and each, each partner gives the other the opportunity to pursue that um, and, to, and to operate with that kind of independence. I think, I think a big part of it, uh, something to, to really be aware of, is um, the role that sense of self-worth plays in a relationship. Uh, for a person with a high sense of self-worth, there's a capacity for sort of tolerance and patience and resilience. You know, a spouse might say something to you which hurts, which stings or something, um, intentionally or unintentionally. And uh, a person with, uh, who's secure in their sense of, of value um, can, can let it slide, you know? Can just say, we all have bad days, you know? That's normal, we, we all say things that are hurtful by accident or on purpose and, and we don't necessarily mean it. Um, and, and you can wait. Whereas a person with a low sense of self-worth uh, is, is, is gonna be very stung and, and uh, is not gonna tolerate it. Um, is going to escalate, um, is going to you know, bite back twice as hard. A person with a high sense of self-worth can tolerate being contradicted or uh, not getting exactly what he or she wants um, and, and has the capacity for a certain kind of patience for realizing that these things come in cycles, uh, these things come and go. Whereas a person with, with a low sense of self-worth um, is much more likely to be sort of tyrannical um, and controlling and demanding because they can't tolerate um, not having their needs met. They can't tolerate uh, the, the, the perception that their spouse is not living up to some standard that they're setting uh, for this relationship. In a book I read called So Tell Me About the Last Time You Had Sex by Ian Kerner, he gives a uh, strategy, um, a kind of uh, suggested uh, pattern to follow to help, help strengthen um, a relationship and I'll read it inside he says this is technique that he uses that is the foundation of improvisational comedy it's an agreement to say yes and okay the name of the technique is the yes and technique um, so it's an agreement to say yes and to however a scene partner responds to a prompt accepting and adding another statement that expands that thinking for example you might simply say I'd like to have sex to which your partner might reply, yes, and I'd like to draw a hot bath beforehand. Um, in another example, he says, yes, and I'd like to you know, clean the house 
beforehand. So the idea being that you're, you're, you're making an agreement to uh, acknowledge and validate and try to meet the needs of your partner as they express those needs, but also um, to a freedom to articulate your own needs. Obviously, we know it's not a secret that many people have terrible relationships. Many people live in uh, relationships that are in all sorts of vicious cycles of unhappiness. I mean, that's obvious. But we might hope that those people are not in a position commanding a massive audience of young people and preaching that as sort of an ideal to live up to. In his book, Beyond Order, Jordan Peterson gives us 12 more rules for life after his first book of 12 rules for life. And in these new 12 rules, uh, we get two rules that are about relationships. The first rule is called, do not hide unwanted things in the fog. So what does that mean, to do not hide unwanted things in the fog? He gives a story uh, from his own family um, where there was a guy, maybe it was uh, his father-in-law, uh, who had like this collection of plates, which he was like very uh, enamored with. And he built up this collection and this guy's wife hated the plates, hated the plates. And she just endured the plates all this time. And um, at the end, it was a disaster because she couldn't handle the plates anymore. So this is Jordan Peterson sort of summing up this anecdote and talking about uh, the importance of attending to these minor irritations in a relationship. Okay, he says, so quote, here's the problem. Collect a hundred or a thousand of those, he's talking about minor irritations, and your life is miserable and your marriage is doomed. Do not pretend you are happy with something if you are not. And if a reasonable solution might in principle be negotiated, have the damn fight. Unpleasant as that might be in the moment, it is one less straw on the camel's back. And that is particularly true for those daily events that everyone is prone to regard as trivial. Even the plates on which you eat your lunch. Life is what repeats, and it is worth getting what repeats right. End quote. And this is sort of the first example of something which is very pervasive in this book. Police, control, make sure that your standards are not violated. The other rule is rule 10. Plan and work diligently to maintain the romance in your relationship. And this is Jordan Peterson talking about sex and talking about romance. And in this chapter, again, we get this sort of this theme of, of the importance, the necessity of fighting in Jordan Peterson's worldview. Quote, if you are going to set up a household in peace with someone you love and hopefully like and wish to continue loving and liking, you are going to have to determine in some manner who is going to do what. That is the replacement for roles. Who makes the bed? When should it be made? At what level of perfection does the bed have to be made to be mutually acceptable? And if, the, and if this is not well handled, the conversation becomes counterproductive rapidly. I made the bed. Well, you did not do a very good job. Nothing's ever good enough for you. If you do not think I did a good enough job making the bed, maybe I will just stop and you can make it yourself. Maybe you should raise your standards a bit and maybe not just about the bed. End quote. And you sort of get the sense, I mean, I get the sense that Jordan Peterson is talking from a kind of direct experience um, with, these, with some of these anecdotes. Um, but, but he goes on like this. This vision of marriage, which is very dark, uh, of, of constant battling, constant fighting. Skipping now towards the end where he's sort of summing up this, this vision that he has. He says, quote, you are required to negotiate every damned and apparent, apparently trivial detail 
he says in parenthesis, but the apparent triviality is a delusion. Who prepares the meals? When do they prepare the meals? What is that worth in terms of trade-off for other tasks? How do you thank someone for conducting themselves properly in the kitchen? Who loads the dishwasher? This list goes on and on. The sense of, of Jordan Peterson as someone who's constantly policing, constantly taking notes, constantly maintaining a list of you know, how well you did on every single task that he has in his head that needs to be accomplished. Skipping this long list of, of tasks, quote, doing so is difficult. Maybe it means hundreds of fights. It certainly means dozens. I get the sense that he's underestimating here. I think, um, I think he's probably uh, imagining way more than hundreds of, of fights. Um, he says, but they are fights with a purpose. If you, just to get a sense of how much Jordan Peterson is, is policing behavior, how invested he is on making sure that he gets treated exactly the way he wants to be treated at any given moment. Quote, consider coming home in the evening. Let us say that routine takes 10 minutes. So that is another hour plus per week, 50 hours a year, one and a half work weeks. You spend one and a half work weeks a year being greeted as you come in the door. It is a sizable fraction of your existence. Does somebody meet you at the door and indicate a certain degree of happiness to see you? Or are you ignored because everyone is using their smartphones? Or met with a litany of complaints? End quote. Jordan Peterson is saying, when I come home, I need everyone to greet me happily. If they're not happy, they're ruining my life. Because greeting at the door is such a sizable part of my existence on this planet. So greet me happily. Finally, we get to romance. Quote, my observation has been that the typical adult couple, when they have a job, children, and the domestic economy we just discussed, and all that worry and responsibility and concern, might manage once or twice a week or even three times a week for a reasonable romantic interlude. That frequency, if well handled, seems to work out acceptably for both partners. I've observed that twice is better than once, but once is much better than zero. Zero is bad. If you go to zero, then one of you is tyrannizing the other, and the other is submitting. This, this shows his hand. This is the, um, the insecurity at the root of Jordan Peterson. If Jordan Peterson doesn't have enough sex during the week, he's being tyrannized. He's being tyrannized. He's, his, his manliness is being threatened. Um, it reflects a deep insecurity uh, in Jordan Peterson. He says, if you go to zero, then one of you is going to have an affair, physical, emotional, fantastical, or some combination of the three. I do not say that lightly. Something has to give. And so what's his, what's his solution, of course? Uh, skipping ahead of it, he says, quote, you have to have the difficult and embarrassing conversation. What is it going to be, dear? Tuesday and Thursday? Wednesday and Friday? Monday and Saturday? End quote. And that's, of course, you know, a conversation everyone can imagine having uh, with Jordan Peterson, um, who's, you know, just very, very rigid <laughs> in how he believes uh, the house needs to be run. And he will negotiate and fight and, and squeeze every last drop and, and pressure and, and, and manipulate, control you to get exactly what he wants. I think a lot of people are, are confused with Jordan Peterson. You know, what, what is he all about? You know, he's sort of this self-help guru. He's into like really weird ideas about like Jungian archetypes. Um, it's like half stupid and like half like deeply misogynistic. Um, you know, Beyond Chaos is all about like the heroic Harry Potter male figure who's battling feminine chaos. And, you know, again, like it's like like half Dungeons and Dragons, um, like basement dwelling, you know, 
uh, anti-women, like no girls allowed club kind of a thing. It's like, it's like, it's just like, it's sort of stupid, but like, but like, so what, right? I mean, like, what, what are the stakes really? Um, but I think, but I think that his, his policing of behavior and his ideas about, you know, the role of women is really cuts to the core of what Jordan Peterson is all about. Um, I just want to read one more, one more quote where he explicitly addresses uh, the sense in which, you know, the modern world is, has gone haywire, has gone backwards in his, in his mind. So, quote, um, We have transcended or lost our traditional roles and have not formulated replacements for them. Right? This is Jordan Peterson explaining why our world has gone wrong, why all these fights are necessary. Before that, perhaps before the invention of the birth control pill, which was a biological revolution, men did male things, whatever they were, and women did female things, whatever they were. Traditional roles were far more helpful than modern people who vastly overestimate their tolerance for freedom and choice tend to realize. In a less rapidly mutable society, everyone has some sense of their respective duties. End quote. The world has gone wrong. The world is broken because women don't know their place in society. On an individual psychological level, um, it, it feeds directly into this sort of online subculture of incel communities, but it, it actually bleeds into something, into something much darker and much more uh, sinister. Um, for people on the outside of like the white nationalist alt-right movement, there's, there's just like a sense that you know white nationalists are just sort of sort of like self-consciously evil, so to speak, self-consciously hateful. But of course that's not true. It's never that way. And if you read sort of the material, the message boards, the, 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 the content of uh, these communities, what they express is that they are sensitive to the decline in status of white men in society. And you know Jordan Peterson doesn't um, take that extra step. You know, he just bemoans the tragedy of the loss of gender roles. But the next step is, is available to anyone who wants it, which is to, to restore order. You need to turn our back on the values of liberalism, to turn our back on the values of freedom, uh, enlightenment values, which have let us down. We need to return to a kind of more authoritarian, rigid uh, social hierarchy a return to a more um, brutal and uh, authoritarian kind of society.